Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. Welcome everyone. I'm Amri Imafidon, your host of the Women Tech Charge podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Noemi El Haddad. Being in tech by itself doesn't mean anything. You're always applying your tech to something. Who is Associate Professor at Columbia University and works at the intersection of machine learning, natural language processing and medicine. She's created the Fendo app for endometriosis. As a patient, I was frustrated, I was angry. I mostly felt like every paper that I was reading in the medical literature was so unrelated to me as a patient. Welcome, Naomi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, you're in New York, I'm in London, but by the magic of all things technology, this is this is just me and you here in this virtual recording booth. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully it's gonna it's gonna work out, and there's not gonna be any internet issues. <laughs> so, an intro to you. You are Noemi El Haddad. You're based at Columbia University, and by training, you're a classical computer scientist. Yeah, that's right. So that's the kind of the first box. If we were going to say there's a there's a box, there's a label. That's the first label as computer scientist. You did quite a kind of you did the textbook approach, if we can say. You did your bachelor's in CS, and then you did your PhD in CS. The medicine meets computer science was something that you kind of you took on very very early in your career. Then I guess. It, it was, and again, it was kind of a random. Like it sounds not to say that my life is random, but I mean, it's kind of a random. Life the best ones. It's fine. We're not judging. <laughs> um, you know, when I when I started my PhD, my advisor was like, you know, I have two projects, one on news and one on medicine. I was like, I love medicine. I want to do. You know, this is the one I'm picking. Um, and so, yeah, it was like um, early 2000, late 90s. And uh, at the time, it was very, very 
I, I, I couldn't say that it was common to do medicine and computer science uh, the way we were going at it. I wanted to talk about this computer science in Colombia, because uh, if we look across your career, so you've now been at Columbia for 13 years. Uh, yeah, I've been at Columbia uh, 14 years nearly, and uh, as a as a faculty, and uh, at six more as a PhD student. <laughs> so it's been a while. What What's so special about Columbia? Let's do your sales pitch. It was just it was just a perfect place for me to study, but also to be a researcher. There's this uh, strong understanding of what it means to be cross disciplinary. Being in tech by itself doesn't mean anything. You're all, always applying your tech to something. And so you need you need that cross-disciplinary aspect to your work. I think that's something that's so important. And it's great that you've got the support and that you've been rewarded for having that interdisciplinary approach. But I think this is the, the kind of beauty and the crux of why we've got this podcast is that, like you said, tech on its own means nothing. So really, it's about how do you apply these principles? It's a tool, ultimately. How do you use this tool to do particular things? And it's not just in the pursuit of computer science, but it's, it's how do we apply it? So that's fantastic. And I think it's definitely something for anyone that's listening who maybe has another discipline or you know has a particular thing they're interested in. How are you able to kind of incorporate different disciplines in whatever your hobby might be, whatever your passion might be, whatever your discipline might be, to kind of add up and, and create better things. So that's that's brilliant. So you you're, you've been there for fourteen years now. You've got tenure. How does that lead into the Fendo app that you've got? The long story is, all the while I was doing my undergrad and my graduate studies and being a professor, I also had endometriosis. So I was also being a chronic patient. You know, endometriosis is just in ten words is a is a women's health condition. It's defined as you have cells that look like endometrial cells, which is what's inside the uterus that grow outside of your uterus and form lesions that are pretty painful and can also disrupt uh, your functioning as a human being. What's the kind of the base for endometriosis? So what's what's the proportion of um, of women, shall we say? Um, who suffer from from this condition? We don't even know, actually, exactly, because it's such an, uh, quote-unquote, enigmatic condition. And by enigmatic, I mean understudied, really. Um, but so right now, it's it's estimated to be 6 to 10% of women in reproductive age, which is pretty high. Um, you know, it's not a rare disease in any way. At the end of the day, it was like, what can I do as a computer scientist who's interested in medicine? And so... I had endometriosis for a while, and there's hardly any research in um, in endometriosis, not for lack of interest, but for lack of funding, uh, and that's throughout the the world. I think it's this is frustrating. So sorry to, to kind of yeah, but I think it's one of those things that frustrates me quite a lot when we talk about technology and we talk about solving problems, the kind of the nature of the problems that we've solved so far. And I and I think this is something as well that you get in medicine, right? There's lots of different conditions that people have and have had for ages that for funding or for interest or for patriarchy or for you know whatever it might be um that we've not done the research we've not got the tools we've not made the progress in those areas and we haven't shone enough of a light within those conditions as we probably could have if we spent less time for example making Viagra or kind of there's all these all these things where it's like actually 
there's there's a broader set of, of parts of the human condition that we probably should be working on and thinking about. Exactly. Uh, as a patient, I was frustrated. I was angry. I felt like I was alone. Uh, and I, I mostly felt like every paper that I was reading in the medical literature was so unrelated to me as a patient and to my lived experience as a, as a human being that I felt like we needed to start um, documenting what, what it was to be a patient in a different way. And that maybe would add uh, knowledge to the scientific understanding of the disease. And I felt like, you know, asking, asking patients directly for their lived experiences, but trying to structure it in a way that the resulting data would be useful in aggregate and would kind of help us understand better what it was to be to have endometriosis was going to be novel and going to maybe help the field. And that's where the computer science comes in. So I think this is this is the 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 crux of, of what you're doing with Fendo is kind of being able to take those things on mass, being able to take in all those experiences, being able to process that data and use you know NLP like uh, sorry natural language processing and use machine learning, you're able to kind of open things up. So for anyone that's listening that's not heard of natural language processing. I always I I remember having to study this as a as an undergrad and I remember one of my my fellows or one of my tutors in my college was the kind of the person in charge of this um, at Oxford. And I think the example I always give, I always remember being kind of fascinated at trying to break down language for a computer or for an algorithm or for some sort of machine to understand kind of parts of speech, how they come together, having idioms and all the rest of it on top. How would you describe um, natural language processing as a field, I guess, as someone that maybe hasn't encountered it before? Yeah, um, I think it's becoming easier and easier to define it. Uh, you know, when I when I was a when I was starting in in the field as a graduate student, I used to talk about it as um, we're trying to build uh, algorithms that are going to help us understand or generate language automatically yeah. uh, and be as fluent as possible the way a human would be. I think now, you know, and it sounded very abstract to people. Now it's like, uh, you know. Um, Siri. Yeah, exactly. Like there's so many examples in your life, in your daily lives that are using natural language processing. It's like, you know. Uh, so so now, you know, what's interesting also, obviously, is that um, there's been this giant revolution of uh, statistical approaches and machine learning approaches to natural language processing. Um, which had kind of started in the in the 90s, really, but obviously have become so predominant right now. Um, and there, it's it's a really exciting time because basically right now we're using a lot of um, statistics and machine learning, but at the same time rediscovering or uh, finding new ways of injecting linguistic theories into into these different. Uh, approaches, computational approaches to to NLP, and and really building uh, things that I honestly never thought I would see in my life, uh, as uh, in terms of accuracy and performance so, of so these different. Give me an example, because I I want to kind of compare and contrast for anyone that's new to this or is listening to this all and kind of hearing it for the first time. I always like to talk about ye oldie Siri. That is, if I said, give me directions to <laughs> Fifth Ave, it would say, you know, did you ask for ice cream? And I'd be like, there's right. nothing like what I just said. Um, so we've gone from that in a couple of decades, we've gone from ye oldie Siri, which a lot of us will remember was rubbish, 
Two, what is the kind of thing that, that you're processing or what is it now able to do? And for something like Fender or for something like the, the medical use case or the medical reason why you're working within this, why is that something that you want to do? So there's a, a bunch of, of projects we're doing on endometriosis. Um, at Columbia University, we uh, my department, which is biomedical informatics, is part of the medical school. Um, we... Um, we have access to basically all the patient records of uh, patients who went to the hospital associated with our university. And uh, and that also presents a tremendous opportunity to understand the disease in a way that hasn't been done before. So what, what we're doing is we're using NLP on these notes written by doctors. I mean, they're entered, they're typed on the computer by doctors or dictated sometimes. Uh, and and we're trying to extract, for example, what are the different symptoms that are being actually documented by clinicians and how does that compare to what the patients are telling us on FENDO? Right now, FENDO, in fact, we decided not to use too many um cutting-edge AI or machine learning approaches to it. It was really about this very simple idea of, you're a patient, you have an experience of disease, just tell me about it. <laughs> and that's it. And, you know, <laughs> as simple as this. <laughs> one, uh, you know, one, one little, just because I couldn't resist as an NLP researcher, one little functionality in this is like a diary functionality where people can just write whatever they want. And I was like, who's going to write about their disease? But turns out a lot yeah. of Fender users are writing. Um, and it's, you know, it, there's a lot in there so we're using we're using nlp to to you know parse this diary information ah okay so you're, you're doing that kind of compare and contrast as well between what the medical professionals are saying and what the sufferers what the patients are saying yeah yeah um, exactly i think that that's that's the fun one to be able to try and look at because again kind of i know as a computer as a computer scientist this is something that i ended up studying as well and i wrote my thesis on was this kind of um uh ethnographic ways of collecting requirements and collecting information knowing that what the professional might write down is different from what the patient might be suffering and actually the full picture is is still quite wider <laughs> than being yes. able to add those two things together um, <laughs> so it's brilliant to be able to see computer science being able to kind of give us that fuller picture in a way that kind of historically we, we probably won't have we will never have been able to have that with paper records but also, you're, I'm guessing you're able to maybe do this across geographies and kind of build a, a much wider data set and a much wider picture across lots of different uh, people. No, you're totally right. I think the what's so exciting with the way, you know, with this approach is you can, first of all, you can apply it to many questions, right? Like it's a methodology. It's a way of thinking about um, advancing medicine. Um, and it's, I think that's, that's the biggest, for me, that's the biggest deal is that as much as clinical trials are the gold standard for understanding how disease work and how interventions and treatments work, we're, we can't, you know, we, we just can't, uh, we, we don't have enough funds. We don't have enough time to do a clinical trial for every type of patient out there. And we're starting to see as a community that clinical trials um, because they're so regulated and because they're so careful are in their eligibility criteria are so restrictive sometimes that they're actually removing diversity of patients. And, um, 
and you know for someone like who does machine learning it's like we're we're thriving on diversity and lots of data that's messy and noisy that's what we want rather than the very small highly curated type of data and so it's it's a complementary way of doing it but um, I think that's for me that's one of the most exciting aspect of all of this data is uh, is a diversity that's definitely exciting I think the scale like you're saying the scale that you'll be able to do so I think it, it's quite exciting to think how we might be able to um, take these disparate data sets on mass to build up a better picture of whatever the condition might be to then, you know, help with treatment, but also with diagnosis. So I think that's super exciting. It's, it's a very cool thing, very cool thing to be working on. You're taking charge, Noemi, which is why we have you here. So, so yes, exactly. Thank you very much for that. GECH, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm sure for anyone listening, kind of there's, lo- there's lots of conditions there's lots of conditions that we end up having. So I've got something called hydrogenitis suprativa. And, and a lot of the frustration that you're saying, I think it's definitely something for fellow HS sufferers, people like myself, where this is something that a lot of medical professionals don't actually know a lot about. And it can be quite frustrating, actually, where there's so much. I'd love to be able to speak into your app and just be like, you know, today this is what happened. And to, yesterday that's what happened. And here's how I'm feeling and have that kind of bubbled up to help me even have this kind of self-quantified um, situation with it as well, which I've, I've been trying for ages actually to be like, how do I document what's happening? There's so many different factors, so many different symptoms, so many different episodes. What's even me as a computer scientist, I'm like, how do I corral this data for me personally? So I can know that, you know, every time I eat white potatoes, that spells disaster, right? Um, and so it's, you know, and so it's the kind of thing that I can imagine there's lots of different scenarios where that would definitely be something that would be useful for many people. That's right. 
that's totally right <laughs> so maybe someone listening this is definitely something you can you can think about the the big difference i think with this population of patients who have a disease and are frustrated is that they're they're in it for something they're waiting for something back and so you know that's kind of what we're we're really leveraging here is that we're we want to be partners together in understanding what this disease is and obviously as a as a patient myself, I kind of had like a, uh, not instant, but I had a lot of trust from other fellow patients. And, you know, that was part of me disclosing. At first I was like, I shouldn't disclose that I have a diagnosis because I'm a researcher. I'm, you know, detached. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And turns out, no, you shouldn't be detached. You should care tremendously about what you're doing. And, you know, you can, you can find a way to be impartial in your analyses and rigorous in your analyses, but be very much attached and very much uh, in touch with your subjects and showing empathy and trying to make them be partners with you. I think, and, and, you know, it was, you know, in retrospect, that was the right choice was to, to really open myself up and say, look, it's going to be difficult. Like I don't really enjoy talking about my uterus in, you know, to people, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to talk about my period and my pain and all the ways in which it has affected me because I think I want, I want others to understand that one, it's okay, two, it's actually liberating, and three, if you do the same, we can together um, maybe change the state of affairs uh, when it comes to understanding the disease. Because some might see it as being biased if you're, if you're, if you've got the condition and you're working in the in the trials and, and, and working in the field alongside it. But I think the other thing that it helps you do is to have more equitable practice and allow people, like you're saying, to have more power and more agency in shaping solutions. So it's you building empathy, but it's also you building something that's not just for them and it's us versus them, but it's very much more collaborative, very much more participatory. And it's the kind of solution that then will, will definitely last longer and be more deep set because it's been made with not just those people in mind, but with the voices of those people as well. So the, the second part of my big question, which I, I still want us to delve a little bit into, is the kind of the unpaid labour side of this. So, um, yeah. and this is something that we know kind of um, women in particular, when we look across society, we look at all that goes on in the home, kind of it, it's unpaid labour is a big part of um, of the female experience, shall we say. And it's something that I know um, kind of was almost intentional, but not necessarily in a, in a terrible way or in a, in a um, purposely minimizing way. But it was, I think initially when we decided to kind of measure GDP, for example, we said, you know, the, the amount of labor and the amount of work that women do in the home is so complex, so multi-layered. It's there, but it's really hard for us to add that into our measure. And so we're now not going to measure economic productivity based on yeah we're just going to ignore it at all we're just yes, going to ignore it's it right hard to for do. simplicity which as mathematicians as computer scientists often there are things that you're like do you know what that factor i'm going to ignore for now when i build the system i'll add an extra complexity and extra we just didn't get there right so from from where you're sat what have you seen in terms of this unpaid labor that women yeah. have been doing on on this front in you know across medtech shall we say right right so I think right now the the field of femtech is very much exploding, um, and there's it's hard. It's becoming difficult to understand who's in it for advancing women's health and who's in it for just advancing, you know, getting a better valuation for their startups. Um, 
I, you know, it's, it's the ethical boundaries are becoming <laughs> harder to navigate. And so I don't have a good answer for you other than, you know, there's this realization in our societies that there's a lot of money to be made out of uh, women's health under the, um, you know, where, whether it is like, here's a app that can uh, put you in touch with someone who can, um, help you freeze your eggs for a better price uh, to, you know, is it feminist? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't have a good answer for it. And it's not up to me really to answer it. But all I'm saying is that this type of apps are appearing on the market um, to, you know, tell us everything about yourself and in exchange, we'll give you some self-care advice. Uh, and, but really that, you know, all this data is being sold to Facebook for better advertising. So, you know, it's it's becoming complex. It wasn't, I think what's different now is, you know, this type of like taking advantage of a user was always there in uh, in our ecosystem. I think what's, what's slightly different and harder to navigate is now, um, you know, the feminist seal of a, uh, of or the yeah or is it just saying like we're we're helping women's health when it's fact when in fact it's not obvious at all that you're helping women's health so so that's getting that's getting harder and harder to navigate for sure i mean there was you know the just even menstrual trackers right like there there was in the past few years there's been several uh news stories about how different apps were uh, selling menstruation data to Facebook. Uh, and it's why, you know, we don't really, <laughs> you don't really need to do this. Uh, I mean, others and for, you know, so it's, and, and on top of it, you don't disclose it really well to, to users. So there's a whole, there's a whole added layer to this. I mean, the fact that we're dealing with such intimate data is, is what's also uh, frustrating about it. So, all this to say it's happening more and more. I don't have a good answer about this question, but we do know that one, women are using this type of tech much more than men. Um, and and that too, this, uh, this seal of uh, helping women's health being part of femtech community is becoming more and more of a thing. Um, it's kind of like the equivalent of like, you know, all natural ingredients. Uh, what does okay. that mean exactly? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it's all here. I think, I think it's definitely an important thing to consider. And I think anyone listening, it's something to wonder how does that apply to, you know, whatever roles you already have or whatever interests you already have. But I think it's, there's definitely something around um, whether it's some sort of ethical lines that we draw or whether it's actually taking, and like you said, kind of the, there's not one feminist answer, right? Fem, the idea of feminism is that everyone has their voice and can say something different and it has the same weighting. Um, but I think there is something around even just kind of distribution of wealth and who holds that money. I think that's also something that's going to be super powerful to see and to make sure that we're proactive about ensuring that that becomes a thing. So it's, it's, so this is the call to action, I guess. That's what anyone that, you know, to the listener, listener that is listening, kind of how can you be a part of this? How can you be a part of a crowd, maybe that feeds the data into some of these things? How can you be part of someone that's fighting for the right policy or is raising awareness? Um, I know you with the Fender app, um, Noemi, have also been doing lots of work in terms of, kind of publishing this data or publishing this information in places that more people will be able to see it. So kind of almost taking the outreach 
element um, of things. Do you want to talk a little bit about maybe your your medium uh, platform that you that you're you're building up under the Fender app? <laughs> Sure, sure. So, so part of this idea of, you know, like, we're not just using your data, we're, we're partnering. Uh, we've been, we've been doing a lot of, uh, I have, uh, thankfully, on my team about like, many, many different volunteers and, and paid volunteers, depending on how much time they have, uh, that help me um, kind of translate the research uh, and the findings for for the patient communities and for others who are interested in women's health. Um, and so there, there are a few things we do. We do a lot of um, small meetups and talk to different patient communities. We uh, also write a blog. We're about to actually put out um, a summary of two research papers that got published recently and and kind of making a, a lay version of it that uh, explains what does it mean for patients really uh, which is really kind of like the analysis the first analysis of all this fando data um, and we also we surprisingly we're pretty good at disseminating uh, through instagram uh, which you know, it's kind of like science by Twitter, but it it works. It you know, we can we can have very interesting discussions with patients actually through Instagram. <laughs> there we go. That's the future. Talking to your doctor through Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where it's going. God forbid. I'm joking. Um, right. So thank you so much, Naomi. I think that was that was fascinating on so many different fronts. I think there's so much there for people to think about. Um, and to, to kind of have in the back of their minds as you are going through whatever your health journey might be, whatever conditions you might have, whoever your physician is, like whatever the routines are that you've got, whether it's your tracking apps, you know, there's so much there to think about. Um, so thank you very much, Naomi, for, for giving us your, your time and for lifting the lid a little bit on, on what could happen next and also where computer science meets all of these things. Um, where can people find you if people want to, to to read more into this or you know contribute and be a part of what's going on what's the what's the best way for people to be in touch or to follow we have a website called citizenando.org uh, and that's kind of like the umbrella name of our project the fando app is part of it uh, if not the fando app is available on uh, all of your favorite operating systems for your <laughs> smartphone uh, and that's and fando uh, ph right yes, yes. it's fando ph because it's a uh, it's a portmanteau word for phenotyping endometriosis <laughs> awesome thank you very much Nomi. that's that was fascinating thank you for giving us all a little bit more work to do Hopefully paid rather than unpaid long term, but there we go. Thank you very much, Naomi. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk. It was fun. <laughs> Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.